Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. There's no objective should here. There's just a calling attention to that because I think if people see the resistance process, the submission resistance, submission rebellion process they're in, that it can outwork itself more quickly as opposed to being it and then wondering why you're still suffering. Give yourself to it, whatever it is you're doing. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. To wrap up this series on surrender versus submission, we're going to look at two important footnotes. One is the phenomenon of the rebel, the character we all love to love, and the dangers that come with glamorizing rebellion. There's a fine line between a rebel and a consummate teenager. Second is one of the most common forms of resistance that you're likely to experience in life, your natural fears when confronted with an opportunity to change. Also, it's that time again. I have a new course beginning January 7th, 2021. It's called Self-Authority, Access to Authentic Power, and I'm excited to tell you about it. You know, I like to say there are six things with which humans have profound difficulty and confusion. God, sex, love, money, death, and power. I just finished a live course on money. It's called Money from Burden to Freedom, and that's now available online. It went so well that I thought I'd do the same thing with power, especially because a lot of people's money issues that came up had to do with power. They're intertwined in some significant ways. So it just made sense for the next course to be about power. Most people either crave power too much or don't own the power that they have, and it can depend on the domain for the person. The root issue, though, is inevitably your relationship to power itself and how power was misused in your childhood, especially against and with you. Because the first people of power in our lives is our parents. So unless you claim to have perfect parents, you, like the rest of us, have power issues. Power issues show up hugely in romantic and management relationships, any close relationship with a person, even friendships, but they can also be more subtle and leak into domains of money and spirituality. In short, power is one of those things you really want to clean up in yourself if you care about living a conscious and authentic life. And if you're ambitious and want to make things happen, it's even more important that you clean up your relationship to power before you have a lot of it or try to exert a lot of it because your stuff is going to get thrown in your face when you do. So this course, in the end, is about ending the cycle of chasing power and or not standing in the power you already have. To learn more, go to clearandopen.com slash authority. Again, that's clearandopen.com slash authority. Hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Let's start the show. When you start referring to it from a place of music, I, a question that comes to mind is why is it that we culturally celebrate those who go against the grain? Your Path Methanes, your John Schofield, your Joe Bonamosas, these are people who did goofy things. Jimi Hendrix, these are oh, yeah. people who did things in a non-conventional way. And I would argue that, or I would assert that it was because they 
were resisting, and there was a natural tendency that they had, and they relented to that. But that was all counter to, uh, I mean, Miles Davis, the way that he played, Dizzy Gillespie, all these people did things that ran counter to what people considered to be the standard. And in many cases, that created entire genres. Yeah. No, I love that you bring that up. It's a great example. Uh, I'd add Eddie Van Halen to that list as well, right? We we love them. And uh, probably going to go a little over time here. Because I gotta, I gotta address that. Sorry to bring it up so late. No, no, just, it's, it's. I'm glad you did. People sorry. have to go. That's fine. But I'm gonna take another five minutes or so because I love that question. Well, there's so much to unpack there. One is we love them because we worship rebels. We love them from the shadow side because we want to believe that we don't have to follow the rules either. And it is awesome. Wow, somebody get a totally new way. You know, like somebody decided to. Do away with horses and build a car. People thought they were crazy. Deliver a package anywhere in the world. Thought they were crazy. Disney thought he was crazy. You have to learn the uh, you know jazz musicians. You're crazy. You can't you can't play outside that scale for that long. That's nuts. Nobody's going to want to listen to it. But then people do. So we love that. And yes, yeah, sometimes it pays off, for sure. Um, but not always. So there's no hard and fast rule here. What I'm saying is like, um, you know, for someone like uh, Jimi Hendrix, for example, Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix songs are such a pain to learn because he's always using his fret hand thumb. He had this giant thumb and it's really hard to do. So if you want to learn how to play like Jimi Hendrix, you have to figure out how to use your thumb to fret one, sometimes even two strings. It's very painful to do. And if you don't have, you've got big hands, it's, it's difficult. So he built a style, broke rules. You don't use your fret hand thumb. I mean, probably some people had done that, especially classical guitarists where it's easier. But he broke that rule. But he also followed a lot of them too. Eddie Van Halen was one of the pioneers of electric guitars because he was making his own pickups. He was coating them in wax to try to defeat the noise and um, but then I think of an example like Jimmy Page, who also broke a lot of rules, but he was a highly trained studio musician. You could put music in front of me, he could play anything. So there's an and here. The biggest and is who the hell knows? Follow the rules, don't follow the rules. What I'm saying is if you're not following the rules, if you're not doing the assignments, know why. Have that be conscious. That's what I'm advocating. There's plenty of examples of artists and maybe athletes or other musicians um, where you need to learn the basics first, and then you can try out the different, then you can break out of that. That's generally the conventional wisdom, right? And for some people, is that the wrong path? For some people, do they need to rebel from the very beginning? Yeah, probably they do. But in the end, it's results. Proof is in the pudding, right? So I thought I knew better than my guitar teacher at age 20. And then when I turned 40, I'm like, you know what? I still am not that good. I surrender. And I find, I chose, I just moved to Maui. I got a little guitar that I could take to the beach. And I'm like, that's it. I'm 40. I cannot abide this anymore. I'm going to hire a teacher. I'm going to do everything he says. And I did. 
And guess what? I got much better. It worked, right? So if somebody feels that rebellious tendency and says, you know what? I really think I need to go my own way. I'd say, awesome, do that and pay attention to what happens. You may end up being the next Mozart, who I don't think ever took a piano lesson in his life, or you'll turn 40 and still suck at piano. Life will tell you. You So just look around. Life will tell you. And, And you're saying surrendered within each assignment. Which one assignment at a time. Yeah, one assignment at a time. One assignment at a time. Give yourself over to whatever the thing. That's really what the secret is. So I talked about the childlike phase, following instructions, doing whatever. The teenage rebellion phase, that's that cycle of uh, submission and uh, rebellion. What's maturity? Well, I'd offer that there is no country on our planet right now that is based in real maturity. Maturity is healthy surrender. Maturity is, you're better at that than I am. I want to be able to do that or be that. Tell me what to do, and I'll carefully consider whether it makes sense. And if it makes sense, I'll try it so I can see the results. And if the results are encouraging, then I'll continue to do that. Now, that sounds very simple, doesn't it? Almost nobody does that. Almost nobody does that. It's, it's, it's just, it's pure logic in one way, but it's also giving yourself over to it. Because the, the process of surrender, you're not just surrendering to the activity, you're surrendering the course of your life to that. You know, it's like when I learned Aikido, it changed who I was. When I learned Guitar, the way I learned it, it changed who I was. It changed my level of focus, my discipline, the way I related to teaching people things that were hard for them because now I was learning something that was hard for me. You give yourself over to it and it's a journey. The the fundamental reason we get caught in the submission rebellion loop is because we don't want to lose control. Right? Because when you're sitting with the guitar finding where all the A's are, there's a sense for the ego that it's not in control. This is uncomfortable. I'm not enjoying this. I have to do it in quotes. And I'm not in control of this. But I want to be good at guitar. But this is not happening the way I wanted it to. Yeah, newsflash. You don't get better at guitar watching TV eating popcorn. That's, of course, the. I mean, if you could, that would be terrific. Here's getting better at guitar-flavored popcorn. Eat a bag a day, and at the end of the week, you'll be awesome at guitar. Cool. That, I'd sign up for that. I'd pay $10,000 for a bag of that popcorn. right? But that's not the way it works. How it works is you do something that's uncomfortable and hard, and it often doesn't feel right. And lo and behold, you remember learning cursive on that horrible green paper with the dotted line in the middle, learning how to do a cursive Q or a Z and the teacher. I remember vividly being like teacher, like, no, you cross the T just above the middle line, not on the middle line. And I was like, what the hell is the reason for that? What's the middle line there for? I don't get to cross anything on that line. No, just above it. Well, how much? And why the hell do you spell people with an O instead of an A? 
made no sense, right? No, this is how you spell it. Now, the teacher can't say to a six-year-old, well, it comes from Old English and they have this EO sound and that's where English comes from. They can't, they don't have time for that. It doesn't make sense. The kid can't understand it. It's like, look, this is how you spell people. And when I argued with the teacher of like that, I thought spelling tough T-U-F-F was tougher than T-O-U-G-H because I wanted to emphasize by changing the spelling. She said, no, it's T-O-U-G-H. You don't get to change the spelling of the word with an artistic kind of way. Now, you know, you, we could argue, well, I could have been the next E.E. E. Cummings and I needed to break all the rules. And if she hadn't done that, I would have become this amazing poet who re-spelled all of the words in the English language. Sure, that might have, might have happened. Who knows? But if it really was my destiny to become the famous Joseph Shapiro poet who doesn't spell anything the normal way, then I think that would have happened anyway. That's my argument. Or eventually I would have learned the right way to spell things because you know you need a job in your 20s before you become that famous poet, and then you can stop spelling things the conventional way. See what I mean? So summary to answer that question, watch out for the temptation of glamorizing the rebel. Because you see, that's in the American teenage cowboy individualistic frame. We romanticize that. You know, and we forget that the Michael Jordans and the Walter Paytons and the LeBron James and whatever, those people, the Steph Currys, these famous people, most of them practice their asses off. And the the exceptions to the rules that Jimmy, well, Jimi Hendrix practiced quite a lot. I don't think he was, he was self-taught, but he was famous for going to parties and sitting in the quarter, figuring out stuff on his guitar. Mozart um, is, was, you know, I mean, that's a past life thing to me, slam dunk. You, not, you don't write operas at age six without having some previous training in there. Um, savants are an exception. So if you're a savant, then congratulations, you don't need training in whatever that thing is. If you're a savant, you have some other challenges. I'm a savant in some ways, and uh, it's not necessarily all it's cracked up to be. Because you tend to create blind spots in other areas of your life, and you tend not to want to surrender to having actually practiced to learn something. Because when something comes so natural to you, you look at hard work and go, that sucks. Why would I do that? This other thing came, comes really natural to me. I'll just do that. And that's why Mozart was such a jerk. <laughs> Even though I think work ethic, work ethic doesn't necessarily have. I mean, all of those people, uh, even the unorthodox, had tremendous work ethics. I think. Yeah, yeah, sure. It was more just this against the grain thing of um, sometimes. I guess you know, if you have a, in Jimi Hendrix, I think it was fully just in function. I have these huge hands. I don't even, you know. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So in the end, you got to follow your own path. What I'm, all of this is just to say is pay attention to where you may be resisting so you can follow your path even better and track the difference between surrender and submission. That's what I'm suggesting. What is possible for you? I mean, most people are, most people are not firing on all cylinders, it seems to me. And again, that internal sales cycle when you see the thing that makes sense to do or makes sense to change, what are you waiting for? That's the question. What are you waiting for? And it's not like, oh yeah, I'll just stop waiting. It's not a rhetorical, what are you waiting for? I mean, really look, what are you waiting for? 
what exactly is in the way? What's the fear? Um, maybe, maybe the last thought. Uh, there are three fears. Let's put this in meditation context. You want to know why you avoid meditating? Here's why. If you meditate the right way for long enough, there are three fears that you will run into. Uh, not inevitably, but in most people. Some people, it doesn't happen. One is the fear of becoming dysfunctional and losing your ability to be responsible. Because, now the because doesn't matter so much. That's one fear, is that you won't be able to function because the way you're, all right, now I'm becausing. Because your mind changes. The way you use your mind, the way you access your mind, your memory changes. It changes you. So the ego will say, well, if I keep going down this road, I won't be able to function and be a responsible member of society. That's one fear. Another fear is that uh, you'll be disintegrated into a million pieces. Because when you start to actually face the false boundary, the, the way in which we experience ourselves as separate, and you start to thin that out, the ego starts to make up, hmm, if we keep going down this path, you'll lose all sense of individuation and you'll just be like a drop of water into the ocean and you'll just dissolve into it. And the third fear is going crazy. So is it any wonder why people, one, avoid meditation entirely, or two, do it so superficially that they don't really get anywhere besides learning how to relax a little bit? That's where real meditation takes you. It confronts you so deeply with who you think you are that your mind starts getting terrified. So when you experience those fears in meditation, does that cause you to meditate less or meditate more? That's the question. Where do you want to get to? And you know, maybe you're not interested in waking up. That's fine. Maybe you're interested in getting great at guitar or running a business really well or whatever. Whatever it is, you're going to run into something like that. What will you do then? That's the question. What will you do then? Notice what you do with it. It's understandable. You may circle something for years before you finally surrender. There's no objective should here. There's just a calling attention to that because I think if people see the resistance process, the submission resistance, submission rebellion process they're in, that it can outwork itself more quickly as opposed to being it and then wondering why you're still suffering. Give yourself to it, whatever it is you're doing. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com review and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.